This episode of Mountain Meister is supported by the American Alpine Club. Join a national community of now over 17,000 climbers who support healthy climbing landscapes and climbing education. Sign up today at AmericanAlpineClub.org. You're listening to the podcast that explores the minds of those who explore. It's Mountain Meister. I'm your host, Ben Shank. April 15th through 23rd is National Park Week. And this coming weekend, April 22nd through 23rd, you get free admission to every national park in America. On today's episode, my guest is Micah Meyer. He's on a mission to become the youngest person to ever experience all 417 units in America's national park system. This was a personal goal of mine before I even realized it would be a world record. Micah started around this time last year, and as of the release of this episode, he's a little over a third of the way there. In today's episode, you'll hear about his motivation for the project, how he makes it all work, and a change in lifestyle that makes all of it worth it. I wanted to see if I could do this, if I could buck this trend of putting off your goals or your your dreams until retirement. Before we get there, though, a quick update on our Grand Teton climb to benefit big city mountaineers this summer. We have only one spot left on that trip. You can sign up for it at mtnmeister.com slash Teton. I'd also like to welcome Osprey Packs as our newest sponsor. We'll be using the Variant 52-liter pack on the climb. Thank you, Osprey, for your support. If you sign up for our Grand Teton climb, guess what? You get one of those packs for free. Okay, let's get to today's episode. I originally recorded this interview with Micah Meyer in January of this year. He was on the road. Where are you now? I am in the parking lot of a Pilot Flying J in central Florida. Okay. What what are you doing there? What's going on? Uh, Well, I am currently in the process of driving from Orlando to the Fort Lauderdale area. Um, There are a few parks kind of in that region, Biscayne, Dry Tortugas, Everglades, and Big Cypress Preserve. Um, so I have some friends down there who I'm kind of going to use their place as like a base camp to get to all these different sites. How far through overall the 413 are you? Um, so a little over 25% done. Uh, I just finished park number 110. All right. it, are, are they parks or monuments? Like what's the, how do you, how are you classifying all of these? Yeah, so this is a big thing uh, kind of within the national park community and um, something that I'm – it's harder to explain in words than it is in writing. But um, so we have the 59 national parks, and those are capital N, capital P, distinction, national parks. Mm -hmm. Then we have 417 now actually. Um, Obama just named four more (laughs) and added to my list – in his last week in office. But so these 417 sites that the national park service manages, you'll often hear people, especially within the park service, refer to these as national parks. And if they're writing that they'll do it lowercase n, lowercase P. And so basically, yeah, that encompasses everything from the 59 capital N capital P parks, which are some of the most recognized to national monuments like the new Katahdin woods and waters, uh, national monument in Northern Maine, or national seashores, national memorials, national historical parks. Uh, it's essentially every site that the National Park Service manages. So sometimes you'll hear people say there's 417 national parks, and somebody will say, no, there's not. There's only 59. And it's it's a matter of semantics, but also a matter of politics, because 
for example, Congress has to designate a national park, whereas the president, through the Antiquities Act, designates a national monument. And now you said that Obama had added four to the three, 413, so now you're at 417. Uh, do, yeah. you, do you expect there to be less than 417 over the course of the next few months? You know, I don't know. I Certainly in the in the few years that I've been really paying attention to the national parks, there's never been one that's been removed from the list. Um, so I don't even know procedurally like how much work that would take or how possible that would be. Um, my guess is that things that already exist won't go away, but if the past year has taught us one thing, it's, you know, never say never. And, and are any of those parks that he added uh, in an inconvenient location based on how you've designed uh, your travels so far? Like I, I saw that I think you've been to the Northeast and knocked out some parks there, and now that Obama added one to Maine, does it, that means you have to go back there, right? Yeah, so it's funny. Every time he adds a new site, like my my phone lights up and people are sending me links. And I'm before I look at them, I'm like, dear God, please let it be somewhere I haven't been yet. Because um, I'm trying to do this as efficiently as possible and, and not do any backtracking. And uh, I got really lucky when he added Stonewall in June. I hadn't been to New York yet. And when he added Katahdin in August, I was one month away from Maine. So those were okay. Uh, unfortunately, his 414th, site or the 414th site is in Auburn, New York, which is up near Syracuse and the Finger Lakes, mm -hmm. which I have already passed through. So that's the first site that I will have to essentially backtrack gotcha. to get it before I finish. Mm -hmm. What do you win uh, by becoming the youngest person to see all the national parks? Um, nothing tangible as far as, you know, there's no monetary prize. There is no... You know, I don't get like a free RV at the end or anything. It's, it, it really, this was a personal goal of mine before I even realized it would be a world record. Um, these were just kind of happy coincidences and things that I would hoped would help me as I tried to fundraise to make this massive project feasible. They were just kind of happy bonuses. They weren't things that I like saw an advertisement and set out because of that. Uh, and so what is your motivation for doing this? Uh, so there's, there's a few reasons, but the biggest one goes back to um, when I was 19, my father passed away from cancer. He was 58 at the time. And my family's of German heritage, so I was a good you know German saver, and I had started putting money away from my retirement in high school. And just kind of had this idea that, you know, this is the way life works. You go to high school, you go to college, you get a job, you retire. And when he passed away before getting to retire, it shook everything I'd ever known and showed me that retirement's not guaranteed, 50 is not guaranteed, and tomorrow's not guaranteed. So whatever I wanted to do with my life, I couldn't assume that there would be time down the road to do it. So, um, coincidentally, I, uh, my family was, were big road trip people. We couldn't afford to fly. And so we had done road trips my whole life. My dad, um, always said if he wasn't a pastor, he would have been a trucker is how much he loved driving. <laughs> um, so I had my first independent road trip planned, uh, as a 19 year old. And it turned out that it ended up happening just 10 days after his funeral. Wow. Yeah. Um, I had planned it like three months ahead of time. 
I was driving a little rinky-dink Ford Festiva that the speedometer only went up to 85, and three of my friends picked it up by hand. Um, so I asked him if I could use his Hyundai Elantra for that trip, and he gave me permission a few months before he passed. And so uh, I ended up going ahead and doing that trip anyway, despite everything that had happened. And it ended up being, I think, one of the best decisions I could have made. It removed me from a city that had been nothing but cancer for me and my family for the past three years of his treatment. It, you know, put me into physically new places that helped distract me, but also mentally new places. And ultimately I think it helped me get through his passing in a way that I don't know if I would have otherwise. And so from that, from that year on, basically I made it a goal that every year I would do a road trip to, honor that experience and honor his love of road trips and just what I, the joy and the, the benefits that I experienced from that. So every year since that I had done kind of like a, maybe a week or two weeks, um, until I finished grad school at age 25 and at the advice of a bunch of older, much wiser people than I, um, decided if there's something I want to do with my life, now is a really great time to do it. No kids, no mortgage, um, no job. So I took his same Hyundai Elantra and I lived out of it for nine months. And I do what I call my, or I did what I call my dream road trip. And so I set out into North America with the goal of seeing everyone I'd ever met who was still alive, who lived in North America. So that if, yeah, so that if they passed away young, as well, I had a bunch of really old relatives. Um, at least I would have gotten to see them now that I was an adult and had some memory and some, you know, time with these people who were important to me, knowing that they might not be there when you think they will be. So okay, so you've gone from uh, yearly or annual road trips to yeah. to then a nine month road trip where you see everybody that you know in the u.s that's pretty cool yeah and then and now you're 417 i think national parks with a lowercase n and a lowercase p yeah Uh, how are you paying for all of this um well i'll answer that in a second but just to to answer your original question so what happened on, on that nine month trip at age 25 is i realized basically that you know life is not guaranteed. I might not get to do my dreams if I put them off till 65 or 40 or whatever. So I made it a goal that every five years I would take my annual road trip and make it something bigger, something more epic, something kind of dream worthy. And so, um, and I kind of came up with that every five years based on this idea that if we retire at age 65 and spend the next 10 years retiring to age 75, you get 10 years of your dream, whatever's, Um, but instead of taking that chunk of 10 years, you could sprinkle them out every five years, 30, 35, 40, 45. And by the time you reach 75, you'd be caught up with the people who retired at 65. So basically as soon as I finished that nine month dream road trip, I started saving up knowing that at age 30, I wanted to see if I could do this, if I could do this kind of alternative lifestyle and, buck this trend of putting off your goals or your, your dreams until retirement. So, um, I got three jobs in the Washington DC area and was kind of single-mindedly focused for those four years. It was, 
you know, if I went out to the bar on Friday night, the beers were seven or eight dollars. And so I just didn't buy them and would save that money for gallons of gas instead. And was um, this a miserable life, though, for those four years? Um, I mean, it wasn't miserable. Like, I wasn't a pauper, you know, like I I'm a pretty frugal person to begin with. Um, I don't I don't spend a lot of money on stuff that just uh, stuff. I think is what Dave Ramsey calls it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I have cheap thrills, you know, um, Oh, that's okay. That's fortunate that you have cheap thrills. That's a good point there because I think so that some people don't have cheap thrills. Well, and maybe it was, you know, maybe it was the blessing of the road trip that I had just done because for that nine months I, I spent less than $8,000. Basically I I wouldn't pay for convenience. You know, I would take my time and I would buy beer at a grocery store or I would, um, you know, make sandwiches. I think I ate a peanut butter and banana sandwich every day for nine months and now I like can't eat them ever again. Um, but so it was basically just, you know, taking out taking out convenience for convenience's sake. And so I, I'd known from that that those nine months were the happiest nine months of my life. And if I survived on under $8,000 and was the happiest I'd ever been, like – yeah, but but isn't this the exact reason that people work their whole lives to retire? What do you mean? Well, you are essentially putting in your time for four years to live a great nine months, whereas other people take that same philosophy except pl- apply it over the course of their life. Yeah, I mean, it's funny, though. I don't think I ever, like, even within those four years, I still traveled to Europe three times. Oh. Um, you know, I spent two weeks in Europe and I spent $1,500. Because I got the flight for 700 I couch surfed my way around for a month. Um, you know, I ate pasta when I could cook at hostels or couch surfing stuff. Because um, for me, it was more important to go to Sweden, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, w- one of the trips I did was two weeks, and I went to Stockholm Pride, Norway Pride, Iceland Pride, and Amsterdam Pride. And for me, it was more important to be there and to meet locals and to go to the events than it was for me to stay in a luxury hotel. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, if you change your attitude about what traveling means, if, if it, if to you, it means staying in a nice hotel and eating at nice restaurants and doing stuff luxury, then more power to you. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, it's usually about people that I meet. I find that meeting people and the experiences you have that way are often the most exciting things and really aren't expensive. Um, you mentioned the pride parades there, uh, and one of your goals has been LGBT visibility. Tell us about that. Totally. So I grew up in Nebraska, which after living in Washington, DC, I learned that a lot of people don't even know where that is. Um, (laughs) so it's one of those flyover States in the middle of the country. They actually call it the heartland because it's so central. Um, but I grew up there. I was a pastor's son And so, you know, my exposure to the LGBT community was basically through the TV. And so I grew up as a closeted queer kid in Nebraska thinking that if one person was gay, their only options in life were to be a drag queen, uh, wear a Speedo in a parade, or have AIDS. Hmm. And so it took me a lot of time to reconcile my sexuality for myself and now that I am in a place where I'm a happy, healthy, homosexual, um, I feel this deep sense of, of need to help others who aren't as fortunate as I or who haven't gotten to that place. And so 
you know, I planned this trip initially for my own goals to follow one of my own personal dreams. But when I realized that I could somehow help the LGBT community by setting a world record, and now when that little queer kid in Nebraska sees the news and sees, oh, you know, this guy just visited all the national parks and was out in the outdoors and set a world record, and he was gay, that that might change that kid in Nebraska's idea of what it means to be a gay person Mm -hmm. or that adult anywhere in the world who might have stereotypes about what gay people are and what the quote gay lifestyle is. And then they'll have to say, Oh, well apparently the gay lifestyle is setting world records, advocating for the national parks and being out there doing great things for nature. Did your dad know that you were homosexual? Um, he unfortunately passed away before I was able to come out. Um, so as I joke now, you know, he knows now, Uh um, but no, not, not in his lifetime. I was not out then. Uh, What is, uh, I guess sometimes in today's social environment, uh, with the internet, you can be, uh, perceived maybe as inspiring or sometimes self-absorbed because it's almost like, hey, everybody look at all these cool places where I've been. Uh, but at the same time, your purpose for doing that is to show what's possible. So how do you balance that? It's tough. I mean, to be honest with you, I get a lot of hate mail and hate comments of people who call me a lazy millennial. Um, they call me a trust fund kid. And it's so hard because I want to just shout back and be like, did you read my blog where I said I saved up for four years? Like, did you see my father passed away and was a campus pastor and all I inherited was his sedan? Like, do you know that I work harder on this trip than I ever have in my whole life? Because it's more like running your own business than a quote vacation, which a lot of people say, well, I wish I could go on vacation for three years. So actually very early, very early on after the trip started, I learned that I needed to do a lot of work to fight the perception that I was a lazy millennial driving around the country, mooching off the government and just doing everything for myself because that's what at least vocal commenters on Facebook seem to think I'm doing. Hmm. So what are those ways of, of showing that? Um, a lot of it is talking about, you know, the preparation for this trip, how I saved up for four years to launch this, how I started it with perhaps not the money to finish and how I'm hoping individual donations or corporate sponsorships will come along as I'm doing it and, and make this world record trip possible. Um, I do share a lot now about the LGBT goal, uh, early on, you know, there aren't really any openly gay role models in the outdoor industry. So, I've been terrified ever since I started approaching sponsors that they would say, well, if you're openly gay, like we can't sponsor you because there's not a market for that. Our buyers won't want to see that. So for the two years that I spent actively pitching companies and trying to get financial backing for this, I never mentioned my sexuality. Um, If anything, I would talk about trying to help the diversity, share the diversity of the parks, both you know, the diversity of the different types of parks. And also there are parks for gender rights and civil rights and LGBT rights. But that was my code word. Um, and then basically once the trip started, uh, I started getting feedback from the LGBT community who knew, cause you know, if you Googled me enough, you figured it out. And 
they would reach out to me and say, thank you so much for doing this. I feel like my story is being told now for the first time, or, you know, I've never seen any, anyone do this. Who's, who's gay. So thank you for doing this. And so at that point, I basically realized it's not about me. It's not about the companies that might be scared of me being gay. It's way more important for me to be open and honest about who I am so that it reaches people who need to see that and need to hear that story. I think you need to play it more. I think uh, that's what differentiates you, you know? Well, yeah. I mean, I totally agree with you. Uh, at the same time, like, I don't want to be the gay hiker right, or right. the gay road tripper. Like, I want to be the road tripper who set their world record who just happens to be gay. Yes. Uh-huh. Because then the story becomes he's gay and the story no longer is the national parks and the live your dreams while you can and the, you know get out and experience nature. You don't have to be inside all, t- all day long. It's tricky. Yeah. I, I, I have a roommate. His name's Max. And Max brought up a very good point uh, and a good question for you. And that is, how do you stop this 417 uh, number from just being like a checklist goal? How do you make sure that you're deriving meaning out of all of these yeah, so that's another another criticism I get from people who don't do their research into the trip is they assume that I'm going and just getting my stamp to prove I was there and leaving, which some people, they're called park chasers, um, actually do. But um, about six months before I ever even hit the road, um, I sat down with a guy who had been to all 401 parks when that was the total number. And from memory, he went through them all with me in my spreadsheet and said, you know, this is how many days you want to spend here. This is how many hours you should spend here. And basically, I asked him for the ideal amount of time to experience every site because my goal personally is that I can do check for my own life and and say, you know, I went to these places. I can tell my grandkids I went to Yosemite and I hiked up Half Dome or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. I want to make sure that I'm experiencing these sites both for myself and for the people following my trip so they can get a full sense of what these national parks are in case they want to go do them as well. Do you have any useful tools or gear or anything that uh, would help in our own road trips? Um, so I've got three things that I basically use on a daily basis. Um, the first is it's an app called Gas Buddy. And it shows you the cheapest gas um, or where gas stations are. And so I use that um, just to help because it's all about the budget, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, I also, when I was 15, I got a a Mountain Smith backpack because I had too many books from school that they wouldn't fit in my little Jansport. And I've had that same backpack for 15 years. And so I reached out to Mountain Smith early on and I said, hey, this is a trip I'm doing. Like, I really love your products. Um, And they were nice enough to send me some stuff. So I kind of have different backpacks for every, whether it's an urban park or a deep nature park. Um, I kind of have the right backpack for each site. Mm -hmm. So um, I've always got my Mountain Smith bag that adheres to whatever the park is. Um, And then because I am doing so much on social media and trying to share this with people as a way to show the parks to them. Uh, I got this really cool solar charger from BioLite, mm-hmm. And basically it's a little solar panel. I can point it at the sun, plug it into my phone and I can get phone power anywhere. So if I need to Instagram something, 
and I'm running out of battery. I just point it to the sun, and I can still share this with people. That actually does the solar charger actually work? It does. I mean, <laughs> you it, it has to it has to be pointing at the sun, and there's uh-huh. a little sundial on there that shows you how to do that. But it actually does. Like if I'm, I can be at a dead phone and plug it in, and three minutes later it'll pop on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll throw those on your Meister profile page. That's on our website. There you go. MTNMeister.com. Uh, one final question for you, Micah. I've enjoyed talking mm-hmm. to you today. Uh, who would you like to hear a similar interview out of? Uh, so she actually turned me on to the Mountain Meister podcast. Oh, wow. uh, her name is Hannah Malvin, and she is a recreation policy associate at the Wilderness Society. And um, she and I connected because as I'm kind of out here in the world and in the media and trying to be a role model for the LGBT community to get involved in the outdoors. Um, she's really behind the scenes working on policy and programs that, that help engage that community. Um, the national park service itself as one of their centennial goals, acknowledged that the LGBTQ community is one that's heavily underserved and does not have a presence in the parks. And so they made it a goal to try to reach out to our community. And so you know, she's somebody who's doing kind of the behind the scenes work while I'm getting the media attention. So I, I hope that, you know, it could help highlight the great work she's doing. Keep an ear out for Hannah Malvin on a future episode. You can follow along at tbcmikah.com. And we'll also have links to Micah's social media on our website, mtnmeister.com. Thanks so much for your time. And I wish you the best of luck. Look forward to following along. Thank you so much. That's Micah Meyer. If you'd like to financially support his project, you can make a tax-deductible donation on his website, tbcmica.com, M-I-K-A-H. If you'd like to do a slightly smaller but equally important project of your own, consider a custom challenge to benefit big city mountaineers. We are climbing the Grand Teton this summer, but if climbing's not your thing... You can do your own cycling, running, paddling, or whatever project you'd like. BCM will support you with a CrowdRise page and fundraising strategies, and there's no fundraising limit, so you can set your own goal. The money you raise will help BCM's mission to take underserved urban youth on life-changing wilderness expeditions. Go check it out, bigcitymountaineers.org. Click on Summit for Someone. That's all for me. Hope you enjoyed listening to another episode of the podcast that explores the minds of those who explore. Enjoy doing the rest of whatever you do while you listen. My name's Ben Shank. I'm your host. Thanks for listening to Mountain Meister.